Welcome to BMO COVID-19 Insights. Visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19 for more up-to-the-minute insights. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Managing Cash Flow Through COVID-19 Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Oscar Johnson, Head of Commercial Treasury and Payment Solutions. Please go ahead, Mr. Johnson. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Oscar Johnson, and I am the head of uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury and Payment Solutions for BMO. Uh, thank you to the operator. It's my pleasure to welcome our clients and guests. We can all agree uh, this is a time like we've never seen, but we're confident that if we come together, we will get through this stronger than before. We decided to put this together after hearing from many of you and learning more about what's keeping you up at night when thinking about your businesses. The global pandemic has implications for all of us, and we know that we are stronger together as a business community. Your friends at BMO want to help navigate during this unprecedented time. We have a lot to cover over the next 45 minutes, so I'm going to walk you through the agenda quickly, and then we'll get started. We'll start with Michael Gregory, Deputy Chief Economist at BMO. He's going to share how the economy is reacting to the epidemic and cover a high-level view of what the government relief package means for organizations. Michael will then hand it over to Jim Santoro, who is our capital markets liquidity specialist, who will address the current environment, including rates and liquidity options for Treasury cash. Jim will then hand it over to Megan Kells, head of North American Treasury and Payment Solutions product, who will cover several best practices for organizations finance departments, including accounts payable and receivables, and what we're seeing and hearing from our clients, like the rise in e-payables and guidance on how a remote staff can successfully continue their responsibilities. Finally, Megan is going to hand the call over to Larry Zelvin, head of our financial crimes unit, who has some important lessons you need to keep in mind. Fraudsters are taking advantage of organizations and infiltrating networks at alarming rates. We're hearing this from our clients each day, and it's no surprise given the higher percentage of remote workers, pressure to get things done, often having limited or no access to standard systems, and a need to circumvent your current processes. As indicated within the invite, we appreciate you submitting your questions in advance. The speakers have been provided these questions and will address them with their comments. If you have additional questions at the end of the call, please reach out to your BMO representative. Let's get started. Michael Gregory, please begin. Sure thing. Uh, Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. All right. Well, the escalation of business closures, job layoffs, and furloughs, along with the stay-at-home orders, all in reaction to the COVID-19 crisis is having a devastating impact on the U.S. economy. I don't have to tell anybody about that who's on the phone. The second quarter started on Wednesday, and it's it's poised to become the worst since the Great Depression. GDP data on a quarterly basis only started in 1947, but the 25% annualized contraction we're expecting for Q2 will be the worst in history. Uh, And in fact, we judge that there are net downside risks to our call. And with the economy hitting the coronavirus wall last month, Q1 growth is also going to be pulled into negative territory. We look for the economy to contract at least at a 5% annualized rate in Q1. So the bottom line is that we're in a recession. The economic indicators are now revealing just how bad this presumably short-lived recession will be. 
today. It was reported that payroll jobs dropped by 701,000, the worst since March 2009 in the Great Recession. Household surveyed employment, which captures things like self-employed and gig workers, plummeted by 3 million, the largest drop since these data started in 1948. And if this wasn't bad enough, the past two weeks since the employment survey was taken saw 9.9 million Americans apply for unemployment insurance benefits. The jobless rate also rose to 4.4% in March from 3.5% in February. Now, if you go back to 1948, the record high here was 10.8% in 1982, and we judge that we're going to top that in the next month or two. Again, this is the worst economy since the Great Depression. However, as quickly as economic performance is plummeting, policymakers are responding just as rapidly. On the fiscal policy side, last Friday, President Trump signed the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act. The $2.3 million package is comprised of $1.1 trillion of spending increases, $300 billion of tax decreases, and $876 billion of funding for loans to businesses, both big and small. This Phase 3 fiscal action followed two much smaller bills earlier in the month, and combined they represent around 11% of pre-crisis GDP. And now there's even talk about a Phase 4 package that could involve increasing infrastructure outlays, similar to the New Deal of the 1930s, and lifting state and local tax deduction limits. On the monetary policy side, the Fed cut rates by 150 basis points, with the Fed funds target range now at 0% to 0.25%, back at the zero lower bound. Quantitative easing was reactivated, but this time with no uh, set amounts and with uh, commercial mortgages supplementing purchases of treasuries and MBS. The Fed has reestablished special purpose vehicles to buy about $400 billion of commercial paper and asset-backed securities along with, this time, corporate bonds and loans. Treasury is kicking in $400 billion of capital here. And these special purpose vehicles are only going to skyrocket. As part of the CARES Act, Treasury is giving the Fed an additional $454 billion of capital to work with. In effect, the Fed has moved from being the lender of last resort for the banking system to being the lender of last resort for the entire economy, with the potential for close to $5 trillion in total lending via the Fed. Now, these massive monetary and fiscal policy measures won't prevent the recession from happening. They won't prevent the worst economy since the Great Depression. But they do lay the groundwork for a very strong growth recovery once the COVID-19 crisis ebbs. 10%, 20%, or even 30% annualized advances can't be ruled out. When will the crisis ebb? Well, we just don't know when social distancing will start to be relaxed. Will it be late May, June, July, or later? We just don't know. Also keep in mind that although the growth rate should look spectacular when we start recovering, in part because we're being driven by the services side in the economy, not a lot of inventory overhang, uh, say like the manufacturing sector, when we typically have recessions. Therefore, just as quickly as we've fallen here, we can rise pretty sharply.
But unfortunately, the level of GDP, not the growth of GDP, but the level of GDP can take some time before we're back to where we started. Unfortunately, some businesses might, 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 sorry, some businesses might not make it through and some workers might not get their jobs back. But this only means that the Fed won't be reversing course for some time to come. In other words, it's going to be low rates still for a very long time. And with that, I'll turn things over to my colleague, Jim Santoro. Thank you, Michael. I want to echo my colleague's sentiment in saying, first, thank you for joining the call today. And second, and most importantly, saying we sincerely hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy. Michael just painted a grim picture in the near term for the U.S. and really the global economy. So using his comments as a springboard, I wanted to spend the next 10 minutes or so discussing three things in particular that provide some color as to what we are seeing in the marketplace from a corporate cash perspective, as well as provide some ideas on managing liquidity through these uncertain times. First, I will walk through how a large number of companies are reacting to the downturn and how they are viewing cash. Secondly, I'll spend some moments talking about, in light of this cash buildup, which prefaces the first topic, we will discuss what liquidity solutions are being most utilized to house treasury cash and detail several solutions that may make sense in this market to not only provide a safe harbor for cash, but some simple strategies to optimize yield in the process. Third, we'll also discuss and conclude looking forward on what I expect to unfold in the near term for liquidity solutions, including whether we feel short-term liquidity solutions may suffer from negative yields. So let's jump into the first topic. What are we are seeing in the market in terms of liquidity as this crisis has unfolded and deepened? Well, as Michael pointed out, unfortunately, a lot of businesses will not make it, and some of those suffering currently are draining cash. But for those companies that have access to cash in the form of credit, we're seeing a very large buildup in cash. In fact, I would describe it as a beachhead where companies, both large and small, are looking to shore up as much cash as possible to, one, navigate through these challenging times, and number two, as Megan will talk about here in a few moments, to make sure that they can continue to operate their company seamlessly and making sure that their working capital and cash management stays as prudently and, and fluid as it has historically. So whether you're a small family business drawing on a line of credit or a large multinational drawing on a multi-billing credit facility, we are seeing companies shore up cash. Now, the focus of my discussion, however, is not to opine in the efficacies of increasing cash in your balance sheet via credit, but rather to review what we are seeing myriad companies do with this cash in this environment and with many company balance sheets increasing its cash in the near term, offering some insights on where we see safe harbors and also where potential pickup in yield may reside. And that leads us to the second topic. Those cash solutions that are most prevalent, and is there any opportunity to generate much return in this market without taking outsized risks? Now, obviously, we can fill up the next five hours of a call with this topic in terms of how to best manage treasury cash, and what to do with cash on hand, especially if there's a near-term buildup. But in light of the fact that we are going through truly unprecedented and uncertain times, what we are hearing most from our clients 
are two things. Number one, the cash they have on hand, they want to keep as safe as possible. And number two, they want to maintain as much accessibility to that cash to use it when needed. So I will narrow my focus across the next several minutes to just several options that, one, protect principal of the cash corporate treasurers and treasury departments have on hand, and number two, can be accessible within a short time frame, i.e. 90 days. So what are some of the solutions? Well, we're fielding a lot of questions recently about companies seeking to potentially move into U.S. Treasury bills or some type of government or treasury paper. Now, obviously, from a risk perspective, there is no other risk-free alternative other than funds that are protected up to the FDIC limit. So thinking about treasuries and government and money and treasury money market mutual funds is certainly a prudent thought. But keep in mind, as recently as last week and bleeding into this week, treasury bills have actually traded negative as the demand for treasuries has grown outsized. So while there is opportunity to go into government and money market mutual funds, these yields will be coming down as the weighted average maturities work through the next several months. So these do provide a safe harbor, but for those looking to generate some additional yield on their cash, short-term treasuries, and ultimately government and treasury money market mutual funds may not be the most attractive alternative. The second solution that has seen a large influx over the last several weeks are plain vanilla bank deposits. Now, not to sound self-serving, but there has been a large influx in bank checking and savings accounts over the last several weeks, and this makes a lot of sense. Unlike 2008, where a banking crisis ultimately led to an economic crisis that permeated through the entire economy, both U.S. and global, banks' balance sheets are incredibly stronger in 2020 than they were during the Great Recession beginning 2007 and 2008. So right now with COVID-19, what we have is a global health crisis, sometimes considered unprecedented or once in a lifetime, that may ultimately lead to an economic crisis that may put strain on the banking sector. But as of right now, most banks, certainly those well-capitalized, offer a very safe harbor for cash. And whether they're short-term deposit products or something a little bit longer, even in light of 150 basis point reduction in yields, we are still seeing some return on bank accounts and are a prudent place to leave funds. In fact, one likely unintended consequence of the dramatic reduction in yields is we finally now have an upward-sloping yield curve made unusually steep in indices such as one-month, two-month, and three-month LIBOR due to a very meaningful liquidity crunch. So consequently, deposit instruments that more closely mirror these indices, like call deposits, time deposits, and certificate deposits of one month, two month, and three month, are similarly showing outside yields for these tenors. For those companies that have built up cash positions and are simply have a level of confidence and comfortability to go out along the curve one, two, or three months, there's an opportunity now to capitalize in this dislocation vis-a-vis overnight yields and as a way to optimize liquidity in this market without taking any outsized risks, especially if you're focusing on well-capitalized banks. The third topic I wanted to discuss briefly before turning it over to my colleague, 
is what do we see go forward? What do we see in the market? Well, I've been asked a lot recently about do we expect there to be negative interest rates on any short-term liquidity instruments go forward, but especially bank deposits. Now, we've seen some negative yields in T-bills over the past couple of weeks, driven by the incredibly high demand for treasuries and the flight to quality. But in terms of go forward, I do not expect to see a prevalence of negative rates, and I certainly don't expect to see negative rates on bank deposit products. And why is that? Well, specific to the U.S. Central Bank, the policy seems to be clear that that is not being considered currently for the Fed to take that type of action. And in fact, I'm going to quote Chairman Jerome Powell's idea and expectations about negative rates, whereby he said, we do not see negative policy rates as likely to be an appropriate policy response here in the United States. And I think if you look at what has been done globally over the last several years, negative rates as a policy experiment in the Eurozone and some of the North has really not had the effect intended when it was instituted a few years ago. So I don't expect negative rates to take hold, and I don't think that should be an overarching concern for those companies heavily using bank and bank deposit products. Where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with an evolving situation that as things improve through time, we expect to see a normalizing credit market and more liquidity in the market. And the current outside yields in medium-dated indices and term deposit solutions, including call deposits, CDs, and TDs, will significantly lessen. Yields on sovereigns and governments, including government and treasury money market mutual funds, after trading negative or approaching zero, may increase slightly. And bank deposits like demand deposit accounts and money market deposit accounts will likely stay where they are currently until we start seeing an uptick in yields from the central bank, which, as Michael pointed out, could be quite some time. My advice from here is to continue to focus and forecast your cash as fastidiously as possible and carve out available excess cash to place a little bit along the curve and turn deposits to pick up yield. Utilize money market mutual funds if you are comfortable on the prime fund with a floating net asset value as their longer-weighted average maturities will benefit you through the next couple of months. And make sure you keep an eye on indices at one month, two months, and three months, especially LIBOR, because as these indices recede, the uptick in yields and locking up funds will lessen vis-a-vis more liquid options. But until that happens, there is definitely a yield-generating opportunity. Thank you. And now I'm privileged to turn it over to Megan Kills, who is BMO's Group Product Head for North American Treasury and Payment Solutions, and it will speak about preparing your finance department for today. Megan? Thank you, Jim, and good afternoon, everyone. As the Head of Product, it's my pleasure to spend a few minutes talking to you this afternoon about things to think about in managing your business and your cash flow in such a turbulent time. I don't want this to be a sales pitch today, but many of the things I will talk to are likely not new for most on the call. Many of you doing a host of these things already. I would position this more as a reminder of the best practices in an environment where work locations are shifting, individuals are performing different roles that they may not be as familiar with, and the need to be as efficient as possible with shifting demands from your customers. 
I think there's three themes to keep front and center when you're thinking about your cash flow with everything going on. Going digital, considering the use of mobile, and staying safe, having a heightened awareness of your controls and enhancing your security. The first theme would be going digital. Most of you are on our online channel, OOBB, and that's the first step to help you move and manage your money in a simple, reliable, and secure way anywhere that you're doing business. As Jim mentioned, managing cash flow and working capital is key. So thinking about how to optimize sending money and receiving money in these times is critical. One thing I will say is there are very few elements that can be viewed as a positive outcome of the current global situation, but perhaps one of them is the environment is ripe to quickly move to digital. If your company and your suppliers and your customers are not there yet, I think you will find that people are moving there themselves because they have to. So let's talk about sending money. Our online channel has many options for sending money. EFT in Canada, ACH in the U.S., tax and bill payments, wire payments, Interaki transfer in Canada, BMO Global Pay for low-value international payments out of Canada, Zelle in the U.S., and importantly, corporate card. Our role in product, working with your payment relationship manager, is to assist you in how to optimize your payment strategy, to send your payments out in the most efficient and cost-effective way. We can help you with a view across all of the payments you normally make to determine what is the right mix of payment type for your business. Once you view your payments through the lens of dollar size, currency type, finality of payment requirements, and the payment information details that you want to send, we can also help you identify and contact vendors that accept credit card payments to help both you and your vendors improve working capital and also maximize card rebates to add revenue to your business when you need it most. For companies that may issue checks, you also may find partners are more receptive to receiving payments via different type, like ACH or EFT. As you contemplate different payment options, we've also wrapped up our onboarding team to help you get set up and transacting quickly. So let's talk about collecting your money, collecting your payment. Similarly, there's a variety of digital payments to help you collect funds faster. E-transfer, wire payments, ACH, EFT, deposit edge for cash, which is a smart safe, and deposit edge for those that are receiving checks, a solution that helps you deposit checks using a desktop scanner. Many on the call today I know are in a heavy check environment for receivables, and I want to assure you that we've been working with our scanner suppliers to ensure they have an inventory ready to go as we see increasing demand for this solution. Again, it's a good time to reach out to your payment relationship manager on how we can work with you to encourage your customers, where possible, to send their payments via digital method. We've known some companies that have been incentivizing their customers to do just that, and it's working. Now is also a great time to consider going mobile, downloading the OOBB app on your tablet or phone so your office can go where you are. I would also be so bold as to ask you to consider using the biometrics capability that's built right into the app so the approvals can be done using your eyes, your face, your voice, or your fingerprint as authentication. The OOBB app can be downloaded in less than five minutes, and you can also download the biometrics piece with at least two modalities, such as face or fingerprints, in under a minute. We have almost 4,000 users transacting on bio right now. 
To close off this section, I wanted to mention we've also made significant investment around self-help. We're very conscious that customers are reaching out to call centers and help desks at different companies that have long wait times. And you might experience a slightly longer wait time with us as well. We were well on the journey of continuing to beef up our self-help tools, and this environment has accelerated that effort. You can look for support in the Help Center using a searchable keyword tool that also includes videos, or the Show Me tool, which provides interactive real-time walkthroughs of common tasks, like how do I set up a new user? I'll close out my themes today with a theme of staying safe and having a heightened awareness of your controls. With individuals moving their work locations and some companies asking employees to modify the roles that they perform, I would encourage you to take another look at your controls, such as approval limits for wires, ACH, EFT, and how many levels of approval you have for certain dollar thresholds. I would also encourage you to ask employees to reaffirm that they're using strong passwords, especially if they've used if they've moved environments. And also ask employees to double check if they are executing on transactions that are based on email instructions, checking that supplier invoice, checking the email address of the email that they've received. These are few of the things from a financial hygiene perspective that you can do to continue to be safe. Now I'll turn it over to my colleague, Larry Zelvin, to continue the theme of staying safe. Larry, over to you. Great, Megan, and thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you all. Um, I lead the Financial Crimes Unit at BMO, which means I oversee all cybersecurity, fraud, physical security, and crisis management globally. I'm going to spend a little time talking about the new COVID-19 operating area environment, talk about the security situation, BMO security approach, and then finally, some of the things you can do to better enable your company, family, and personal security. And I'm going to do it all in about eight minutes. So prior to this pandemic, no one in the security industry ever envisioned the remote access environment we're all operating at at this scale. The use of remote collaboration tools such as out-of-band conferencing systems, messaging platforms, and productivity apps are being used on an unprecedented scale as well. Think of things like Zoom, Slack, WhatsApp, just to name a few. Business processes are also changing quickly, creating new risks. At the same time, there's more money in the system than ever. These funds are incredibly important for companies and individuals alike, but they also provide a huge opportunity for cyber criminals. Over the past few days, the FBI, the United States Secret Service, Europol, the United Kingdom National Cybersecurity Center, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the Financial Services ISAC, the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, and the International Association of Police Chiefs have all warned about the increased risk from cyber criminals due to COVID-19. Some security vendors are also reporting that the threats are being detected six to 800 times greater than pre-COVID-19 levels. Thousands of COVID-19-related websites are also being created on a daily basis, and there are new mobile apps that are being created to uh, perpetuate fraud. Regrettably, many of the targets of these attacks include the World Health Organization, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, hospitals, and pharmaceutical companies. However, some financial companies have also been successfully attacked, including Finastra, a financial technology company, and Chubb, an insurance provider. A few days ago, the Wall Street Journal had an article that said that the fallout from a security perspective may not be known for weeks. While it was a great article, I regret that they were incorrect in that it's not taking weeks, but rather days. The volume and the complexity of these attacks have increased exponentially. When it comes to security, 
there are gaps and situations that we are aware of and will likely be able to mitigate in risk. However, there are many more gaps that we have yet to imagine that will also materialize. I just want to go over a few themes that have been exploiting the fears around COVID-19 and things that you should be really on the guard for, especially when it comes to links and attachments. First, emails or uh, that you talk about friends, family, coworkers that have tested positive, fake CDC or World Health Organization emails, be careful of charitable contributions, uh, solicitations, financial reliefs, fake cure, vaccine, and test kit emails, decontamination, personal protective equipment, and supply shortages to round out the list. The predominantly soliciting usernames and passwords, dates of birth, and government ID numbers, as well as financial data to either perpetuate fraud or sell information to perpetuate fraud. We also need to be alert for things like insider trading, denial of service, business email compromise, and be aware that physical threats could also increase as people lose jobs and become frustrated. What's BMO doing about these threats? Well, in January of 2019, BMO created the Financial Crimes Unit, which joined cyber, fraud, physical security, and crisis management under one team, which I lead. At the Financial Crimes Unit, we created a fusion center where security teams work elbow to elbow with bankers and business function experts from legal, risk, and comms, just to name a few, since a security problem at a financial institution isn't just a problem for security people, but rather for the bank as a whole. At the FCU, we use a follow-the-sun methodology, which ensures that BMO security teams never sleep and are always on to detect and respond to security events, with our colleagues being located in North America, Asia, and Europe. We remain closely connected with financial sector colleagues around the world, government law enforcement and other government agencies, as well as security vendors to stay well-connected to these threats so we can not only detect them, but respond to them. We're also creatively using um, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning to do enhanced cyber and fraud detections. We're making sure our global facilities remain secure as most of our workforce uh, works from home uh, and that we continue to guard our, our incredibly important assets for when they come back. So what you what can you do and your company do from a family and personal perspective when it comes to these security threats? My greatest advice to you is to be have a heightened awareness of the threat. Slow down. Many of these mistakes are being made because people are going too quickly. They're they're responding to things that they perceive as urgent. I'd ask that you stop, think, and then connect. Watch your finances closely and often. Look at your bank accounts, your investment portfolios, anything where your money is, and report anomalies quickly. We can typically recover funds, but it really is dependent on when we know about when the crime was committed. As Megan was saying, enable two-factor authentication and biometrics wherever you can. Also, you should ensure that your computers remain up-to-date on the latest set of software. Uh, if you're using iPhones or iPads, go to settings, look at general, and software update, and if you see any numbers, it indicates that things need to be updated. These updates are critical because they provide security patches that help keep you secure. Lastly, I would say stay up to date on the threats by Googling things like cybersecurity or fraud for the latest news and articles because they, our adversaries are continuing to adapt as we adapt. Lastly, if you have any questions uh, about security or anything we can do to help, please feel free to reach out to your relationship manager at BMO and we'll do everything we can for you. Oscar, back over to you. All right. Thank you, Michael, uh, Jim, Megan, and Larry. We hope that the content helps all of us as we plan for today and for tomorrow. As a recap, uh, please continue focusing on the personal safety of your families and your colleagues. 
focus on managing your liquidity, understand the importance of using technology to enhance your efficiency with eyes wide open, paying very close attention to potential fraudsters. I do want to point out that BMO is working closely with the SBA, and we started accepting applications this morning for PPP loans. Um, our, our chairman and CEO, Daryl White, recently gave a presentation and reminded us that how we come out of something is largely defined by the way that we go in. As an organization, uh, BMO is strong, stable, and well-positioned. And on behalf of my colleagues at BMO, we want you to know that we're thinking of you, your families, and your organizations. We're here to help. We've been through uncertain times in our 202-year history as an organization. We have a strong capital position, and we're all well-prepared to serve our clients. If you have further questions, please connect with your friends at BMO. Thank you. Be safe and take care. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more insights, visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure slash.